following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts... From Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad. And introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. It is Minute 87 of Flash Gordon. Eric, how are you doing? Huh? What? <sighs> Brad! Oh, <laughs> Sorry, man. I, I didn't know you were approaching. I, I was taking a little nap. Yes, it's it's good that we all have our naps, uh, you know, it's, uh, especially at our age. We need naps. I uh, Sometimes, uh, true story, uh, for my day job, sometimes I get really excited if I uh, traffic's good and I get to work a little early. And it's like, hey, I could take a 10-minute nap in my car. It's like, you know, if I'm going to do this one of these days and someone's just going to walk by. It's like, hey, I think that guy might have died in his car. <laughs> you need the George Costanza desk bed is what you need. All right. But speaking of awesome, we have an awesome guest with, with us today. Eric, who is joining us? Joining us in the Flash Gordon Minute studios today is Graylin Hughes, a time-based media artist and a self-professed comic book and sci-fi nerd. I can't imagine what he's doing on this show. Welcome, Graylin. Hmm. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, this is uh, this is really the home for uh, sci-fi and comic book nerds. Uh, really, the only other thing that makes sense would be to have Jets quarterbacks, and we don't want them. <laughs> no. <laughs> no way. Would not allow. <laughs> just like, uh, just, just, just leave us alone, Broadway <laughs> Joe. <laughs> so, so Graylin, it's great to talk to you. Uh, we were in the green room. We were talking about how uh, you you have uh, made an appearance. On the Cosmic Geppetto podcast, uh, you like me are uh, no, no Jarf, uh, and uh, we had a lot of fun with you before, and it's, it's great to have you here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me having me on. Uh, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, this is this is one of those movies where where I, I I've always appreciated, uh, and I never realized there were so many other folks out there that <laughs> were so into it. So this is this is great. This is going to be fun. It's such a funny movie because it's not like it's it's definitely a cult film, but the people, as opposed to I'm trying, I don't know, um, The Rock's uh, Skyscraper, that made a lot more money. But I think people went to that movie, saw it, they either liked it or they didn't like it, and then they went on with their lives. <laughs> uh, Flash Gordon, many many fewer people saw it, but it definitely touched those people who saw it deeply. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. I don't think anyone's doing Skyscraper Minute. I might be wrong. <laughs> I, I, maybe. I mean, I, I got to look at the master list the other day. There's a lot of movies getting worked on. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, so, but, but this isn't Skyscraper Minute. Uh, this is Flash Gordon Minute. Eric, what happens in Minute 87? Well, I'm, I'm going to interrupt the flow right off the bat because I actually have to, before we even dive into the minute, because you mentioned The Rock... Um, we discussed many, many episodes ago that I said I had never seen a rock movie, and it turns out I actually have seen a rock movie, Brad. He was the star of the G.I. Joe sequel, wasn't he? Yes, he was. So oh, I, have, yeah. I have seen a rock movie. Huh. Oh, yeah, forget about that one. Yeah. Huh. 
think everyone wanted to forget about that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I saw that whole movie, in fact. It, it's one of those movies where, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, I've seen enough. That's, <laughs> I get the idea. <laughs> it actually wasn't terrible. It's just the movie that it was. It, it, it was just sort of a, you know, a, a dumb summer movie that, you know, ha, ha, and it was Bruce Willis being old Bruce Willisy, and, you know, The Rock doing The Rock stuff. The, the scene that always bothered me in that is they, they did a honeypot scam where they needed to get a member of the president's inner circle to, they needed to basically kidnap him. So they decided to get, was it Adrian Padalecki? Yeah. Really, really attractive woman. It's like, and basically they said, they just decided to have her jog by him in really tight fitting workout clothes. <laughs> Jeez. knowing that the guy would like basically go over and hit on her it's like is that is that really a thing that that plan works out way too well because uh, and, and of course he's a married guy but he's you, you almost see him like hiding his wedding ring because he's going it's like you know he's a schlubby guy tell me if I'm wrong don't most schlubby guys see a beautiful woman like they're, they, they, their first thought isn't I think I'll go hit on her it, with a degree of certainty that you could just throw her out and he would do it. It's like, guys, there's got to be more effective ways. I, I, I know that it was just a chance to put Adrian Padalecki in really tight clothes, which, yeah, <laughs> fair. <laughs> yeah, I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, speaking of The Rock, I think that same exact uh, uh, you know, little, little piece was done in one of the Fast and Furious movies. I don't, I don't remember which one. I've, I've, I've managed to watch them all, which they were sort of secretly... Uh, yeah, I, I like to watch them. I like the Fast and Furious. <laughs> I hate to admit it sometimes, but uh, but yeah, I, I think that same little plan uh, uh, was set out in one of the movies where they had someone go out in a bikini in front of the, you know, in front of the big cartel member just to somehow get his handprints. Uh, yeah. And yeah, yeah, it was that was yeah. Wonder Woman. I guess it's a thing. It was yes, that's right. It was Wonder Woman. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think the the, so, the best example of of sending out a woman to distract. Uh, men, uh, of course, is the completely memorable scene of Star Trek VI when Uhura, oh. in her late 60s at that point, yes. I believe, was doing her little fan dance for the guys <laughs> on that desert planet. Right, right. <laughs> well, that made sense. Those guys were on a prison planet. It, it, right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, so, so it's a thing. It works, apparently. <laughs> it, it, all the time. It's... <laughs> Uh, okay, but that's not what we're talking about, because strangely enough, I could go on for an hour talking about those stupid <laughs> honeypot gambits in movies, because they're all the time. But, but, but we're in a minute 87, uh, gosh, we're, we're, and we're getting pretty close to the, uh, to the final act, so, uh, so what happens here, Eric? Well, uh, the minute starts out with, uh, Hedonia, uh, completing her, uh, couple of sentences here to uh, Dale, uh, telling her that her joyous time has come. And uh, speaking of um, women in uh, revealing clothing, uh, uh, so in, in a movie here with just really incredible and occasionally insane costuming, Hedonia's outfit here really stands out. She's got the headpiece is like Phantom Menace Queen Amidala level, just you know, absolutely ridiculous and over the top. It's this really intense green. Uh, she's got this uh, on her, you know, on her stomach, on her midriff, this elaborate design that's just so detailed. 
uh, that the costume designer really must have just, you know, gone nuts with it. And then to top it off, the section of the dress that holds her bosom are pointed away from each other and down. And so I know we're three guys sitting here talking about this, but that cannot possibly be physically comfortable. (laughs) I'm looking at the dress right now, and you're right. It can't be comfortable. She's a very pretty woman. It's not flattering to her physique at all. Right. I'm going to guess that that costume may have been designed maybe before there was a, a, an actress cast to wear it, or it was, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I see what you mean. I actually hadn't noticed that before. But yeah, it, it definitely doesn't look like it's, it's very comfortable um, and very top-heavy uh, <laughs> with the headpiece. Yeah. Uh. Oh, this must have been brutal. She must have been. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can't seem to decide or land on if we think this was the funnest movie to work on or the worst movie to ever work on. Mm. The, the costumes and some of the sets, especially all the swamp stuff, must have just been terrible to deal with. Yeah, from 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 the stuff that I've read on the movie, it it, it was pretty pretty horrible for most of the actors and actresses. Um, I mean, speaking of weight, uh, I think I read somewhere about Ming's costume weighed some something ridiculous, like over fifty pounds, uh, and he couldn't he could only have it on for you know short amount of times before he had to take it all off. Uh, it was it was sort of a, it was a lot of that I think uh, I don't think these costumes were practical they, they look great but I don't think they were very practical. Well, it's better to look marvelous than to feel marvelous. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so in in uh, the universe of the movie though here Hedonia is probably high up on the food chain of Ming slave girls. Is she jealous? As she tells Dale, her joyous time has come. It might be there's a tint of sort of in a bitterness there in that mm. in that line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of tough to figure out where they're going with that or where the line. First off, the poor thing is so made up and probably uncomfortable with the costume. It's, it's probably tough to really get the nuanced emotion across. <laughs> a recent movie that got me thinking about this scene a little bit is like the joyous occasion is a. Con- because obviously, to take a look at Dale, this, she is not thrilled about this. Uh, she's not having a great bachelorette party. Uh, she's really trying to. She just tried to almost murder her uh, future, you know, stepdaughter. Um, but you know, it, it, but it does seem like I, I wonder if Hedonia even really comprehends that, or if it's sort of similar to uh, uh, Avengers: Infinity War, uh, where the one. Uh, one of the henchmen of Thanos, when he comes to planets, he's like, oh, be joyous. You, you, your meaningless lives are now uh, being given meaning, you know. Right. And if, that's just, if, they, and if they believe that, it's a joyous occasion, or, you know, people on Earth be happy, you're happy, you're going to get slaughtered. Or if that's just the lines they've been given, and they sort of have a bit of enjoyment out of it. So Hedoni, she, she, she bids her adieu, and it's pretty funny that Delara... They're now like uh, hugging best friends, and it's a, <laughs> and, uh, it's uh, this what this movie does, and we've talked a little bit about about it before, and I know we've had a guest that called up, but because of the, uh, the the DNA of this movie is all in comic strips, where it's like three panels in the next day, three panels the next day, where they really the characters and the plots really do turn on a dime. It, it's a little. 
I don't know, Eric, what are your thoughts about how quickly these guys are like becoming so chummy? Yeah, yeah, we 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 uh we talked about that last week that um, you know, this is the, you know, first we had Baron, you know, immediately real, you know, going from wanting to kill Flash to to following him wherever he goes. Um and now yeah, we've got Aura, Dale hating Aura, calling her a Mongol person, throwing pillows at her. Aura's, you know, spent her whole life, you know, being Ming's uh, daughter and uh, now they're just, you know, just like that, or is like, all right, kill my father. You know, Dale's like, okay, you're my friend. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It fits in with that. That you know, the 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 old original comic strip thing where you just you had to get a point across quick and and, and uh, move on to the next day. Keep, yeah. keep the story moving. Right? Yep, 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 absolutely. I mean, really, this movie, you know, the first 15, 20 minutes when they're still on Earth before they get to Mongo, is really the only downtime of the entire movie. You know, once once those. Mm. Once they the movie gets to Mongo, it's really just you know nonstop uh, craziness and action. Oh yeah, this this is our last. This is almost like our last breather of the film. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and in fact, this leads into one of my favorite moments of this movie. Just an absolutely awesome movie moment. You know, she says, "I'm lost, Aura. Nothing can save me now." The bass line has right. already started to kick in. We haven't heard that bass line in a while. We hear the flash, ah, and we cut, and and here comes Flash. He's swooping towards the camera on the rocket cycle. Huge smile on his face. The skies behind him look amazing. It, an awesome transition. It's you know, all right, this is it. Now, now, here comes the final battle. Right, right. he's coming. He's coming to save the day. Yep, yep, <laughs> yeah. And it's well, we're gonna have a lot of talk about that over the next uh, you know couple days and the next few weeks where. Uh, Everything, they, they do such a great job of tying everything together because, uh, as we've discussed previous, Flash actually doesn't do a whole lot when it comes to beating, punching people, beating people up. It's uh, he, He's going to just spend a lot of time on the Sky Cycle, and God bless Sam Jones, a lot of face acting and sort of moving <laughs> left and right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but th- this is... This is... I, I, and I sort of remember this this differently as a kid. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's funny what you just you know just mentioned. He doesn't do a whole lot, and 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 this is also one of my favorite parts of the movie. I, I just love the, you know, the the rocket cycle. Uh, but yeah, when I went back to rewatch these parts, I, I kind of thought the same thing. I was like, oh, he actually doesn't do a lot. He's just sort of dodging lasers and <laughs> moving into clouds. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> one thing I. I had to call out. We you have the, uh, the 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 guy at the station, and boy, this is a trope you see so many times. Sort of half asleep and sort of getting woken up because Flash is coming. Or, well, he's got guts, you know. I mean, he works for Ming and Clytus and Kala, three incredibly just people who enjoy killing. People. <laughs> he's sleeping on the job with his feet up. I mean, that guy's got guts. Yeah, he does, and he's not even. It's not even like he's in a small room. He, you know, in a small room, or he's basically in a closet, or he's hiding stuff. No, he's just in like the middle of a giant room, and there's Kala. It's like, eh, you know what? That's you must have some real good seniority or some excellent recommendations to like be able to hold on to this job because uh, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure we've seen Ming. I'm pretty sure Ming has liquidated people over less. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! <laughs> So let's talk about this guy. This is the Colonel of Battle Control. His uh, character is called. No name. Colonel of Battle Control Room. Not even Colonel of the Battle Control. 
Colonel of Battle Control Room. So the actor is Leon Green. This guy is still alive. He's 87 years old, although his last credit on IMDb is from 2001, so obviously he retired a long time ago. Uh, and in going through his Wikipedia page, his IMDb page, um, looks like his biggest appeared in a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Uh, he also appeared in a movie called Royal Flash, no connection, uh, starring Malcolm McDowell and directed by Richard Lester. Oh, Oh yeah. wow. Richard yeah. Lester from uh he he directed half of uh Superman two and all of Superman three. And the uh, Hard Day's Night as well. I yeah. oh, knew. <laughs> did I just blow it did I just blow everyone's mind there? <laughs> I remember that yeah, Richard Lester is a, a pretty interesting case um of, of directors where his Superman work is pretty reviled. Uh, rightly or wrongly. Superman 3, I think, was a movie that just wasn't really meant to happen. Uh, it was definitely something where they had the first, they obviously had the Superman 1 and Superman 2 in mind, and he was brought in to basically complete the movie. Superman 3, that I think, if memory serves, Superman 3 basically happened because Richard Pryor did a joke on The Tonight Show about how he wanted to be in Superman. And Richard Pryor was a big enough star that that helped get that movie get made. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's hard to believe that Richard... Wow. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't heard that. Hmm. First off, I think it's hard to believe that Richard Pryor was ever that big a star. It, he was obviously a huge superstar comedian. But when you see him in movies, or when you go back and see the movies, well, he's not a great-looking guy. He, he wasn't particularly athletic. He wasn't a great actor. He was a really funny comedian and a very funny comedic writer. But he was a huge star and really influential. Um... So, yeah. But, so, so Lech, and Lester basically did a Richard Lester movie f- for Full Superman with all the zaniness and pratfalls that he loved to do. But Lester was a, like a legit director who did some pretty cool stuff. It was just perhaps not the best fit for a Superman film. Yeah, although, uh, that's, uh, Superman 3's got one of my favorite comic book movie scenes of all time. The, Clark Kent versus evil Superman battle in the, oh, uh, in, the uh, in the junkyard. In the junkyard. Uh, I love yeah. that scene. It's <laughs> you know it's funny on uh, on the Cosmic Geppetto podcast. Our uh, our producer of this show, uh, Jarf Harden, and I had a talk talked talked about that scene in Superman three because we had a discussion about movies that are bad but have a great scene. And that was uh, Jarv's uh, example. He, he talked about <laughs> Superman three, that junkyard battle, and then at the and then after the fight's over, and Clark Kent ripping open his shirt to show the Superman S, and it's like that was just a great scene. And then the rest of the movie happened. Yeah. You know what? That that's that Clark Kent that as the Superman theme kicks in and he t- pulls the shirt open for the Superman. That's like the same exact thing that's going on in this minute with the Flash theme kicking in and. Cut into Flash flying on the rocket cycle. It's like the same exact kind of thing. No, it's not. <laughs> the silence means, uh, no, Eric, what the hell are you talking about? No, no, no. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> the use of music in this movie, and and we've talked about it before, how they do such a great job of using uh, all the music and not just the Queen stuff. And. Music can be really effective, and, it's, and it can be a great way to to sort of tip the audience off without them even realizing it. 
and they do that expertly in this film. And you know, Super- Superman um, has a great iconic score. And I know in the recent Justice League movie, and for whatever faults that movie had, um, they did a good job of using the old uh, Superman score in that film. Uh, and also the Batman score from... The, yeah, they did the Batman, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. That was, yeah, the best part of the... <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't say any more than that, but yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you can't go wrong with the John Williams score. Yeah, yeah, that that definitely gets you get your juices flowing uh, when you hear that score kick up. Um, yeah. Well, this, it's, um, it, you know, I think... Brad, I think you mentioned this uh, a few episodes ago, um, how it had been a while that, you know, X number of the, you know, guests have not been able to talk about Queen. And so this song kicking in, it's been 23 minutes since the last time we heard Queen in this movie, which when you think about, you know, the, you know, how iconic the soundtrack is and, you know, it's incredible. There's a 23 minute section of this movie where there's no Queen music at all. I mean, this is a movie where the trailer, one of the biggest things they featured is like, music by Queen. So the idea that they would go that long without having the music, it'd be a diehard movie where they go 45 minutes without anybody getting shot. (laughs) (laughs) And this song is called Flash to the Rescue. This was written by Brian May. Yeah, yeah. I I can hear the May in there. I can hear the May. All right, so uh, what else do we have from uh, this minute, Eric? Uh, Well, I love how uh, you mentioned uh, Kala, you know, talking to uh, Colonel of Battle Control Room over the view screen here, and I love the way she pronounces the word imbecile. Love love, love her accent, how she hits that word. Yeah, just so many great little bits, and so many great bits that you don't even really appreciate until you break it down minute by minute, so... (laughs) So, Graylin, you have obviously have an affection for this film. Um, one of the things that we'd like to talk about is, well, and Eric, he hasn't been the same since his favorite character, Clytus, uh, <laughs> it melted. Uh, because that's what happens when people get stabbed. Uh, apparently, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite character? Uh, or, or, and it doesn't need to... It, it, like, and your favorite character and also, like, a favorite... Minor character. Hmm. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I, I'm actually, I'm gonna have to say, Clytus was also my favorite character. Um, he just, uh, yeah, just everything about him, the the mask, the cape, the voice, like he was just a cool villain. Um, I, I don't know. He he was he just reminded me of like like Skeletor or, or just some something, you know, uh, kind of like a. He's a great Skeletor, Doctor Doom mix. Doctor Doom, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, and that, yeah, that's a weird part. Like he sort of sort of reminded me of other villains that I really like. But there's something really cool about him. So he was definitely. Uh, I think he was always my favorite character. My favorite minor character. Uh, oh boy. Yeah, you know, I, his name just escaped me. But the but the Hawkman, the main, you know, the the leader of the Hawkmen. Uh, I just loved his accent. Uh, <laughs> I hate uh, the yeah, cute. yeah. It, it's it's hard not to love Voltan. Yeah, yeah, Voltan. Yeah, I couldn't, uh, just had a brain freeze there. But yeah, yeah, they they that would have to be my favorite. Um, but again, you know, they're, they're like characters that reminded me of other characters. So you know, just, but there's something cool about flying around on wings and uh, yeah. So yeah, they would have to be my favorites. There's a lot of great Hawkmen. We, we've talked about you know he has some great. Uh, 
Voltan has some great, uh, you know, lieutenants who, uh, you know, they all look so cool. Then, uh, of course, I'm a big fan of the, 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 the sort of like the nameless Hulk people in the background who mm-hmm. actually move their heads and make bird sounds. It's like, oh, all right, those are some <laughs> improv comedy guys who... Uh... Right. <laughs> what about you, Eric? We know that you're a big uh, Kaleidos fan. Was there like sort of a secondary or minor character that, that sort of pops into your memory of like somebody's like, oh, it was just fun to have the, the, that, that little guy running around in the background? Yeah, uh, Fico. Uh, the guy played by Richard O'Brien, uh, just because of his voice and uh, because he's playing the bloody pipe. Uh, the only other thing I want to call out is when, uh, at the bottom left of the screen, uh, when the Colonel of Battle Control Room wakes up and starts, you know, figuring out what's going on, there's a soldier sitting at the console in the background. And, you know, there's an alarm going off, and presumably his bo- it's his boss who who's, you know, starting to press buttons and figure out what's going on. And... The, the guy sitting there, he doesn't move, he doesn't budge, he's not reacting to anything. He's on screen for five seconds, and there's no movement at all. And so I'm just wondering if to save money they just stuck a mannequin there, and there's not actually a person <laughs> sitting there. Seems like this would be something to get excited about if you're in the yeah. room. Or, or are there that many aerial attacks on Mongo? Maybe, maybe there are. Maybe that's why they have this awesome defense shield. It's like, oh yeah, the ripples are attacking again. Ah, we got it. We, yeah, we, just we, turn the shield on. Hit the green button. <laughs> <laughs> Granlin, this has been a, a fantastic first minute. Uh, do, do you have anything to plug? N- nothing nothing specific. I had a show recently, but it just came down. Yeah, I mean, if you just want to check out some of my work, uh, it's uh, Graylin, dot Um Some Just a mixture of all of the different things uh, that I work on. I do a little bit of photography and a um, little bit of uh, video and film editing, but uh, most of my work is, is around like projection mapping and experimental video and sound. Uh, so, yeah, I've got some things maybe potentially in the works, but no details yet. So, yeah, just check out the work, graylandhughes.com. So, yeah, drop me a line if anyone's interested in talking about stuff. I'm always open. Thank you. I recommend everyone do that. Um, Eric, where can people find out more about Flash Gordon Minute? Well, you can join us on Facebook. We love to chat with you in the Flash Gordon Minute listeners' vortex. We are on Twitter at Flash Gordon Pod. And we do have an email address, flashgordonminute at gmail.com. Yeah, we ask for everyone's uh, ratings for reviews on iTunes. The more ratings and reviews we get, the more visibility and the more people that can find us to join in the fun. And it is a lot of fun. But, Eric, uh, I'm a little worried, though, now. So it's not all fun, in other words. It's not all fun. It's not all fun. You have had some pretty profound computer issues. Oh, yes. I don't even I don't even know if anyone out there actually hears anything I'm saying right now. <laughs> your, your part of you is just worried that you, this all might be in your mind. Yeah. My concern is, uh, you know, you sound good. I think we have a really good episode. But uh, my problem is, there's a weird thing that seems to happen where when one partner gets the computer issues it seems like all the other computers involved in it uh decided to, to take the lead and it seems off a chain reaction so i'm worried that this is just the first first ant to the picnic oh okay well if you're concerned that a computer virus is going to spread throughout the flash gordon uh minute studios uh like a a computer version of the stand or uh let's let's date let's really date this podcast today a computer version of the airplane that landed in jfk today uh coming from uh, dubai with uh mysterious sicknesses among the passengers don't worry about all of that because flash will save every one of us
Attention listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at Flash Gordon Pod and join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute. Big thanks to today's guest DJ, Susan Hill. <laughs>